Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hi guys, and welcome back to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Dr. Rob Dixon sitting in for Casey today. We got Andy on the boards, and this afternoon we have a really kind of impromptu, I would say, isn't it, guys? Absolutely. Session with our Australian colleagues here. We have Kate Campus. G'day, mate. The, yep, g'day. <laughs> I like it. Kate is the educational director for Victoria University in Melbourne, and John Crowell. John, good day. Howdy. <laughs> we got we, we split up, and we have our own education lead, Lee Gillum, here. Buena sera. And there you go. Uh, and so today's show, it really is kind of impromptu, because Kate and John are here, are the instructional leads for um, some students from Victoria University of Melbourne, where, where uh, Lee, over the last couple of years, I'm going to let him tell the story, developed a relationship with them, and they send their students here for training. And so today we're going to cover a little bit about systems, about their system in Australia, about kind of the training that their students get. And then we're going to go through their experience here and kind of what they've done here in the last, I think, three or four weeks they've been here. So um, to start off, Lee, can you give us a little bit of intro into how did you develop this program? Sure, definitely. So we are a host site for multiple educational institutions across the country, many here in the greater Houston area. Uh, University of Alaska at Kenai, and also Chippewa Valley Tech in Wisconsin. So January of 2018, we had a student from the University of Victoria program reach out to us and express an interest in writing with us. And I asked the student why, and they said because they felt from their research and reading in gyms and EMS1 that we were a very high-powered service, a very high-volume, very... A good, reputable service, and they wanted to come to the United States and participate in an agency that ran some good calls and had high expectations of its medics. It took about four to six months for us to develop a clinical agreement, and once that was established, we got the student on the books, and the student took the information back and expressed uh, to their clinical staff that they had a wonderful experience, and then everything really blossomed. Beginning in January of this year, the, Adam, uh, one of the program coordinators, reached out to us and said, hey, we'd like to send a cohort of students. So I kind of asked and said, what is a cohort? Like a whole bunch of Australians. Like a gaggle? A gaggle. A gaggle of Australians. And I asked, what is a cohort? And they said, uh, anywhere from 15 to 30 students. And I kind of went, oh, wow, that's a lot. <clears throat> So after we talked about timeframes and things like that, we found an optimal time frame for ever, all the students to come, and we worked with scheduling, and we got all the students placed up and down one of our large service areas up and down the I-45 corridor, the Interstate 45 corridor, and uh, the students have had a wonderful experience. So this has been a team effort. We've used our professional development coordinator. We've used our quality coordinator. We've used some interfaces that we have down at uh, Memorial Herman Hospital downtown Houston. Uh, we've uh, reached out to Lone Star College System and uh, for a tour there. So this has been a real opportunity for us to really shine on an international level and for those students to shine to us as well. So yeah, we've really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really fantastic. I would like to say in full transparency and call Lee out, uh, he did set this whole thing up. Uh, with the university, and then he went on vacation. Thank you very much, Lee. He's uh, he's sitting across the podcasting room, all tanned and happy looking because he's been on holiday for three weeks. So um, that's a great intro and kind of background. And now I'd like to go to John and Kate. John, can we start with you? And just can you talk about how is the Australian system 
set up as a whole as a country, paramedic, pre-hospital system, and then specifically in Victoria. And you guys can both kind of toggle off that and, and answer that one. Yep. So uh, look, probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the whole system started to uh, change from uh, hands-on uh, type, type work into a university setting. And uh, that's slowly developed over that 10, 15 year period. During that time, there's been uh, new processes and bits and pieces put in place. And uh, it's, yes, developed over, over that time frame, I guess. The structure that's set up there is you'll do a three-year degree course now, whereas before it was uh, basically in, in-house training. So it's three-year bachelor's degrees now, and then um, you'll move into a, a grad program once you've completed your university degree at uni, and uh, you'll have mentoring in that that uh, moves forward with the training itself as well over you know twelve months time. And so, if they train, Kate, if they train in your university and get the three-year degree, do they have any hands-on patient touches? I mean, clearly they're having lots of hands-on patient Absolutely, touches yeah. here. Are they? Are they getting that clinical component there? And that my second follow-up is, are they, are they like put right into the Victorian ambulance system, a direct pathway, or do they have to go out and look for a job after? Or how does that work? So they really, from day one of their three-year degree, literally in the first week, they are in our clinical practice classes in our clinical prac labs um, and then fairly shortly after they've started they start undertaking shifts with Ambulance Victoria. Now Ambulance Victoria is our only emergency ambulance provider in the state of Victoria in Australia so it's uh, where all paramedics that want to work in Victoria have to apply for to get a job so there's just the one provider and as all the way through the degree the students actually undertake clinical placements through their first second and third year out on road at obviously at various levels of skill base so you know in first year they do quite basic things but by third year when they're on road they'll be asked to do more advanced sorts of practice advanced skills with the paramedics that they're on road with and of course the students that have come to Conroe now are our third year students who are halfway through their third year so they're almost finished their degree and this international experience has really rounded out what they've done because um, to date they've done the, the work with Ambulance Victoria. They also do a couple of shifts about 20 hours in total uh, with a non-emergency provider which they do in first year which gives them a very sort of um, gentle introduction into I guess the ambulance service. So <clears throat> when they've finished uh, their three years they'll come out as a, an advanced life support uh, paramedic mm-hmm. uh, once they get uh, a job with Ambulance Victoria or the uh, ambulance service that they go for within Australia. Uh, and in Victoria there's a couple of levels that you can uh, work through so we've got volunteer groups, ambulance community officers as one level, which is small workloads in smaller communities. And then we've got uh, the advanced life support group who have a skills base um, similar to, I think, your ALS here. And then you've got a a mobile intensive care group in Victoria as well. And one step up further, you've got a helicopter mobile intensive care ambulance officer working as well. So basically four levels from kind of what we would say, Lee, emergency care attendant, EMT basic, EMT intermediate, it sounds yeah. like, and then full advanced paramedic and critical care certifications. I believe are very similar. Very similar. Yeah. But yeah. I think that uh, from what I'm understanding is yeah. that most of the individuals that come out after the de- degree are equivalent to the stateside paramedic with some steps that occur prior to that being what would be equivalent to our EMT basic, somebody who has general basic knowledge, which I surmise might be the first year in students that are in the program, Correct. To where they might be able to go out and do just general bandaging and splinting, 
or do after, things like that? After the three-year course, uh-huh. the, they they will be able to use morphine or treat it, yeah, STEMI and that type of thing. Okay. So, so it, once they've done their grad year, they'll work mentor with paramedic on road, and for that first year, they'll, they'll treat any care type, you okay. know, to care type. So, uh, so that would be equivalent to our paramedics. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, level yeah. Of to our paramedics are qualified after they come out of the three-year program. Yeah. Yeah, is yeah, there a specific yeah. entry-level basic individual who's not ALS? Like who, who are the volunteer guys? That was my, like yep, so that, in the small. That's, that's a very small community, like a small commu- regional community that hasn't got a, um, that has a very small workload, probably less, it used to be around less than 150 jobs a year. And it was just a, uh, that would be a basic EMT where they could do a DCCS or a direct current ca- uh, cardiac arrest, treat asthma and treat some chest pain. Okay, in, in so basic. like our basics. Like our EMT basics. That's in the okay. region. Yeah, Small regional Small areas region. within okay. Victoria. With, not with many, very low workloads. Very low workloads. Yeah. So really from a national level, it's almost as if your system is set up not for the stair step that we do in the United States, such as EMT or advanced EMT or paramedic. But you come in to the college, to the university, and you come out as a paramedic. That's correct. So there is no discussion or there is no issues about who can do what at various levels. Everybody who comes out as a paramedic is a paramedic. Absolutely. Just like yes. everybody right. who comes out from medical school is a physician. Yes. Yep. So Then you the, decide to specialize in whatever area you decide to specialize in. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you'll come out as from uni. Uni, you will come out as an advanced life support paramedic, and you, once you've got your position on road, you'll do your gap year, and then that's where you'll maintain your school school base until within the system you want to go up to the next level of mobile intensive care or helicopter. Then that's a post grad type uh, degree. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's probably yeah. fair to say not everyone does no, that. That's Only right. a yeah. small yeah. group yeah. of people would go on to do, do the MICA. Advan- to do MICA or the mobile intensive care. So I think I mean, one of the things I found really interesting <coughs> about y'all's program is most of the programs in the United States graduate anywhere from ten to thirty students per year, even around here. Mm-hmm. How large is your existing cohort? Yeah, so currently at Victoria Uni, which is obviously where we're from, we have seven to eight hundred students enrolled across the three years of the Mm -hmm. degree so we're quite a big operation we're probably not the biggest university on offer I mean we're the biggest at one campus but there are probably I think six or seven other universities in Victoria with varying loads of students and I did read a recent paper that said there was something like circa seven eight thousand students in the system around Australia in paramedic courses so there are clearly many more students graduating than there are positions available at the moment. You know, in the United States, we have, you can pick up any paper or read on EMS1 or GEMS or any of the other EMS publications about there being a shortage. Shortage in Georgia, shortage in Florida, shortage in Texas, or shortage in California. And for y'all to have an overabundance of paramedics, mm-hmm. send your paramedics to the States. <laughs> yeah, we'll, We've got lots of jobs we, for we them. We will. The ones door, that have come have loved it, so they'll spread the word, I'm sure, on our Facebook. Our door is open. <laughs> it does go in cycles, though. Like, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll have sure. peaks and troughs. And, and it, that's, yeah. that's same always, here, same yeah, here. And yeah. we've had big big events across the country that have caused spikes. Yeah. And then we we have troughs, and then we have spikes again. And, Lee, can you talk a little bit? Let's talk about certification, verification, merit badges. So can you kind of go over our national system of, of how it's done in the states and then john and kate kind of chime in and, and talk about your okay. how do you how do you verify competency of people for when i'm an employer and i'm victoria ambulance and i want to hire someone how do i know 
that their skill set, their competency, and of course, in the United States, what we do in America, we first. do have the majority of the states in the United States utilize the National Registry organization as a testing body. National Registry is not a certification body; it's just purely a testing body to do the psychomotor and to do the if to do the cognitive assessments of those individuals. Then, once those individuals pass those marks then it is up to each state to certify the individual or license the individual, depending upon which state they're from. In the state of Texas, we have both certification as well as licensure. Licensure for paramedics, certifications for all others, including those non-degreed paramedics. You know, it is up to the individual to work through various continuing education courses, whether or not they choose to do what we affectionately call the alphabet soup courses, the ACLS, the PALS, the AMLS, the PHTLS, ITLS, and the plethora of the courses that goes on and on and on. But there's a significant amount of information that actually helps that practicing medic refine their assessment techniques and refine their ability to evaluate and properly treat those individuals. You know, I think those types of courses are necessary evils because at least it gets those individuals back in the classroom every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And even if they're doing a refresher course, they're able to do some more hands-on And if they can walk away from that course with remembering one thing or feeling more comfortable in one area, whether it's pacing or cardio version of the conscious patient, or, oh, yeah, that's how you give that one medication that I forgot about, they're having an opportunity to refresh some of that information. So I think those courses are definitely necessary evils. I do believe that continuing education should always be above and beyond where we are right now. And as an agency, as a high-performing agency, we should always be looking at ways to raise that bar in what we do, whether it's to try to look forward and see where we want to be in a forward process with what we've recently done with simple thoracostomies, or if it's with with other techniques such as using Esmolol in cases of refractory V-fib or other avenues. I think we always have to push that bar forward. And it really is a marriage between the local health care entities, the physicians in the hospitals, with uh, our medical directors being able to look forward and also having a knowledge and awareness of the, what the research is out there. Right. So we're a delegated practice state. So as Lee said, we have a, a national kind of testing to say, yep, you're, this is your competency as a, as a medic. And then you go to each individual state and generally, Lee, I don't want to misspeak General. here. I'm the, he's the educational uh, watchman over there. But if the states accept that is kind of prima facie evidence that you're a competent medic. So we accept the national board and say, okay, you pass the national test. We're not going to do a state test. We're just going to. And then each agency has their own criteria when they come in. So we right. verify skills and we test people mm-hmm. when they come on board our agency. So that being said, can you guys talk about how, how does that? work in Australia? So I can certainly talk from the um, bachelor degree point. So our course has been accredited with the Council of Ambulance Authorities. So, and we're actually just rolling out a new version of our course. We get five years of accreditation and then we have to reapply again. And of course we make changes and tweaks according to all the evidence that you know changes practice as we go through the new versions of the courses. So we know that students that graduate from our course have met the requirements of the course that's been accredited. And um, in putting the course together, we have to make sure that it meets national standards for graduating students. So we've certainly done that. Or well, I'll let John perhaps talk about yep, so how you become you registered. Yeah, registered. So, so, right. yeah. I was interested so in the registration just, process because yeah. that's a pretty new thing for that's, you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Bit. 2018, it's uh, finally come to fruition that uh, mm. there's national, national registration across Australia. Previous to that, so to be... You would to enter the into the ambulance service. Your base was bachelor's degree, 
then you'd be in. Now, how do we maintain that? Um, so you would come into the system and then you would do your graduation year, which is where you would run with a paramedic and be signed off on each protocol. And that was the evidence that we needed to say, you're practicing, you're up to speed, you're up to date. And then uh, every, every year, every ambulance officer has to do two professional development days or they used to be called in-service type days where we would look at all, all the new research and bits and pieces that has been brought forward for clinical changes uh, clinical protocols and generally signed off on a cardiac arrest protocol or you d- d- demonstrate in front of uh, a clinical support officer, CSO as we call them, just a, uh, a procedure that you you would be signed off against for that 12 mm-hmm. months so, and that would give you your 12 months to two years. And that's very similar to what we do here as yep. an agency. We require our staff to come back in-house four times a year. So yep. four hours, four times a year, 16 hours a year, they come back in and we pre- present them a topic or we yep. present them new protocol rollouts. Yes or ideas, or, or even case yeah. reviews. Yep, yep. So very, very similar. And talk, talking about protocols, can you talk a little bit about the, are the protocols or the clinical guidelines that you work under in the state of Victoria the same all over the state? And if I went to New South Wales or the Northern Territories, would I have the operate under the same clinical uh, guidelines, or are they different? They would be a little bit different. But I guess that's where they're trying to head with this. You know, ten years down the track, hopefully it'll be um, similar across the states. Um, for I can speak for, for Victoria. So there's a medical standards committee which has doctors, nurses, uh, pediatricians, all all um, on that uh, group. They review evidence over 12 months, uh, put up ideas and bits and pieces, and then they'll change the CPGs or clinical practice guidelines as the evidence comes forward. Usually once every 12 months. I try not to do too many changes because it's uh, you know you've got to go out and teach it and learn it as a group and I think there's 4,000 employees that that has to go out to so it's um, across Victoria uh, and it, it, at all levels so they, they would cover that off yeah. That right, yeah right? So protocols and then I guess that I've always been fascinated I, in in my view my own opinion having practiced in a different countries the medicine is same all over the planet um, it's just a, a little bit a different way that we maybe a different medication. Yep. You guys use uh, salbutamol. We, mm. No yep. one here knows what that is. We don't have it. You call acetaminophen paracetamol, you know. Little, and, little, there's little bits and pieces, but essentially my view is is that it's kind of the same, you know, a head bleeds, a head bleeds, a head bleed, yeah, whether yeah. it's here or in downtown yeah. Melbourne or in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Well, and, and you all want to comment on differences you've seen, having seen both. I know, John, you practiced for over 30 years, and now you've been on Semi-retired the road. Semi-retired now. You, yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I'm calling them out. We're dating each other. Um, but um, you've looked at how we practice here. Is the medicine the same? Well, essentially, like ambulance is ambulance, so right. it's about patient uh getting to the patient access and egress uh doing some treatment some medic finding out what's what the issue is and putting it into place a uh, protocol and transport into hospital and then writing up your vacuus or you know your um your recording of the information and then being prepared for the next job mm-hmm. essentially that's it uh as you said before there's a few ch- few uh different drugs that we've seen and bits and pieces where i was talking before and we don't use su- uh, we use sucks and you use Rock your own asthma, magnesium, magnesium use, yep, yep. Yeah. and uh, yeah. So I mean, just those minor changes, and as you come into the, come into the system, you you can slowly adjust and and see what's going on, and you know where they're heading with uh, all that that information. We so. don't do IOs. Students have been impressed. Oh, yeah, love really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be a marker. marker yeah. school. It's a tool that's really, really um, coming to vogue here. You can come yeah, in since two thousand and four. You know, we were uh, 
we were the first agency in the country to utilize the existing system that we use, which is the EZIO. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're the first EMS-based organization worldwide to use it. And uh, so we had a, have had wonderful experiences with that. We love the drill. We love the drill. <laughs> so do, the, so do our awesome. students. They're yeah, like, that's Whoa. what I say. The students love it, you know, early and often, and that yeah. makes the EZIO people very, very happy. I'm sure. Very happy. Uh, we have no financial interest in that, by the way, to the listeners. But, so I, I can't let you get away without – we have to talk about, you know, when we have folks from other countries, John, Kate, we've got to hear the funniest <laughs> medicine trauma kangaroo story, something with a kangaroo. What about an emu? Uh, uh, yeah, emu, we could – we Koala, have those here. wombat, a a wombat. I don't know if the listeners know what a wombat is. It's just kind of a small kangaroo. Well, like a little... no, that's a wallaby. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I got my W's mixed Yeah, up. a wombat is actually so like a... you can't get away without your weirdest <laughs> roo story or animal story. Something uniquely Australian. Maybe some other stingy, bitey thing. Or... Well, <laughs> probably got a few. I can tell you our campus at um, in Melbourne has no shortage of snakes in the summer, like brown snakes and um, tiger snakes. So they're deadly. Um, we have had a brown snake. This is snake. your campus. Yeah. Okay, you can cancel snake. my trip that we just spoke about. <laughs> we uh, I won't be coming down. <laughs> we had students doing scenario out on the grass one day and there was a bit of a squeal and someone said it's a snake and a snake had slithered between stretches and students wow. doing work. Yeah. I mean, don't get the wrong impression. <laughs> that doesn't happen all the time. It really it did make the university news, really. It was a big deal, but it was actually extremely scary. No one was hurt and we now have beware of the snake signs all over the on campus the, on the footpath or on we, the cycle we do path. we do last year when i was in melbourne there are beware the snake signs yeah, everywhere yeah, on the yeah, footpath yeah. on the cycle path through the city yeah. there yeah fantastic yeah so kangaroos not perhaps so much although people do hit them with their cars and you know that can cause a lot of damage um to the car and probably the kangaroo. Yeah, they're, they're equivalent for our Southeast Texas uh, listeners. They're equivalent to a deer. <laughs> we, yes. we, we have lots of strange encounters with deer here. So very similar. They stay in the road and then they jump out in front of you. Well, guys, I really appreciate you spending uh, part of your afternoon and our ongoing relationship with the university and the students. And uh, any other stuff you guys would like to say closing out or other topics we may have missed? Um, Well, I'd really like to finish out by just saying thank you so much to MCHD and everyone, Rob, um, Lee, Andy, and and look, there have been so many people that have helped us. They've absolutely embraced our students. You've been so welcoming. Um, The experience for the students has been phenomenal, Um, not just on road, but really out there in the wild world of Conroe. So, yeah, we've had a lot of um, fun and we've learnt a lot and we're deeply appreciative. Thank you so much. And likewise, Kate, it's been uh, absolutely fantastic. Just really welcoming and uh, we've really enjoyed it as a group. So thanks. You know, this wouldn't be a success without our MCHD staff. Our MCHD staff are always hospitable to all their students they always experience, and especially our students from down under. So they've thoroughly enjoyed it, and they really always come together and help us always put our best foot forward. So my hat's off to you all for coming, as well as our MCHD staff. You know, I'd like to ask you all, what is it like for your students when they visit the other countries? How do they see the medicine compared to London or or Jerusalem or New York or here in Texas, uh, how do they how do they perceive that medicine compared to Australia? And is it is it still similar? Do they see similarities across Look, across I, I, the cultures? New York and Toronto is a very similar setup as and it was this morning we've attended the Straight uh, Seminar 
and uh, medical doctors, trauma, you know, same, same thing. They all come in, participate, and, and uh, at the end of the day, come up with some discussion around, you know, concerns and issues about the process that we've been through. So that's, that's quite similar at New York, Toronto, and uh, we're going to Vancouver this year as well. Um, I can't speak too much about Israel. Have you got any comment? Uh, I th- think it's largely the same. Similar, yeah. yeah very yeah, similar yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. I do know some of the places that we, the students stayed or quite close to, they could actually hear um, bombs dropping. So that's probably a bit different. Oh, so, wow. yeah. Is he bombs or venomous things? <laughs> we really like to give our students a wide range of experiences. You yes. must be resilient as a paramedic, so you're going to be thrown right in. Well done. Well said. <laughs> That's a, um. that's a really good place to close it on. So, uh, again, guys, thanks very much for listening in to this episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. As always, if you have issues, questions, uh, comments on uh, topics you'd like to hear, please email us at the uh, podcast email, podcast at mchd-px.org. So, again, thank you, Andy and Lee and our esteemed guests from uh, Down Under for uh, being here today. And we'll talk to the listeners soon. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.